different men come and preach over the last three and a half months, and there's more to come in the next few months. While we search for a man as the Lord as the Lord would lead us, uh, the man to be the pastor elder of the rock, uh, the lead pastor elder of the rock. And I'm sure as you listen to the different speakers that have come along, just like me, we instinctively make evaluations about their presence, about their voice, about their communication styles and skills. And we tend to kind of tick them off and mentally rate them on our preference scale. That's who we are. We're human. At least that's who I am. I kind of think you're there too. And that's very normal. There's nothing bad about that. But it can get in the way of choosing a man to be the lead pastor elder of the church. And these kind of valuations are all based on looking at people on a purely worldly or secular level. I call that a non-biblical level. So we need to have a biblical model clearly in mind of what pastors and elders are to supposed to be, or we'll get sidetracked by these non-biblical ideas or models that's based on things like looks and voice and talents and skills. Because those things will not do anything for us. Let me say it again. What the pastor looks like, what he sounds like, what his talents and skills are, will not do anything for us. Last Sunday, we talked about the local church being a body with many members. And I hope you were encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged, in fact, to know that you're important here because you're a member of the body of Christ. And the body needs all the members in order to function in a healthy way. It's a powerful biblical model of what the church should look like. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. But today we're going to see, kind of flip things a bit. We're going to see how the Bible identifies the persons who are responsible to lead and oversee the church and care for the people. So here's our central truth. The church, you and I, is a flock with servant shepherds. And our text is from 1 Peter 5. It's on the screen. And I invite you to read it together with me. Together. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Amen. So what are elders? Because Peter is addressing it to the elders. And there's some related words in this passage that all have to do with the elders. And, and you'll see on the screen this, this word study. What we're interested in looking at 
is the English words at the bottom, elder, overseer, and shepherd, and they all appear in this text. It's written to the elders. Those are the, the, what the person is like, their character. It's there to shepherd the flock, to look after, care for the flock. And they serve as overseers. They are supervisors. And don't get too caught up with the word study there. But it's helpful to know, and that, that's taken from Acts 20, 28, but the same words appear in that verse. So as we think about that, elders are responsible men who serve in the local church as shepherd pastors and spiritual leaders. We at The Rock have structured ourselves and we operate as a team of elders. The lead pastor is first of all an elder. Uh, the lead pastor is part of a team of elders who are responsible to oversee and care for the church. The lead pastor is not a CEO or the unilateral leader. It's a, it's a team approach. So in our text, Peter uses the image of shepherds and sheep as he appeals to the elders in the various churches he wrote to. Now, he's, he's writing this letter to a group of believers in his day, about 60 A.D., and they're in several adjacent communities, as you can see on the map. They're all identified there. And Peter begins his, his book by saying to the people scattered in the world throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So that's, that's, that's that particular area. Then the letter was to be couriered to these churches by Silas of Silvanus. You'll find that at the end of the chapter. And the readers are mainly non-Jewish converts to Christ. So they don't have the Jewish background, and, but Peter is, has a Jewish background. He's, he's bringing to place uh, what they need to have and what their elders need to do. So he reminds his readers of their significance as members of the body of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says, you are a chosen people and you can say this about yourself. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Then when Peter's going to address his words to the elders about this wonderful group of people that we are through Christ, he uses an agrarian picture that they would be familiar with. It's the image of the shepherd the shepherds, and the flock of God. So obviously, flock describes God's people, those who know him as their savior. That's the flock a flock here. It's God's redeemed treasure and property. It's a common Old Testament term. You'll find it many times referring to God's people as sheep. And in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. Ezekiel 34, 11, and 12. So th there's this picture. God himself sees himself as a shepherd. He sees his people as sheep. And shepherd is a very common term in the Old Testament as for the spiritual leaders of God's people. Uh, they refer to the religious leaders of the elders. Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. That's what God says, promises to his people. And we know that God himself is a shepherd 
Isaiah 40, verse 11. The sovereign Lord tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those who have young. And Peter says, that's the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So this picture of the shepherds and the flock is a picture of the relationship between the elders and the people. It's also a picture of the role or function of the elders among the people. And it's also a picture of the responsibility of the elders with the people. So Peter's focus in this text that we are looking at is on the elders, not the people. Now sometimes some people get really focused on really going into detail how we are like sheep. And here's one current writer who lives in Toronto. He's a very gifted communicator. He says, sheep are dumb and directionless and defenseless. <laughs> so I guess, he says, when God says that we are sheep who need a shepherd, he doesn't mean it as a compliment to us. It's just a very realistic assessment of who we are and what we need. We are sheep who are completely dependent upon a shepherd. Yes, we are. Problem is, elders are also sheep. So we too are dumb and directionless, directionless and defenseless. So what the point I'm making, sometimes we carry something a little too far and focus on things that not necessarily is what the text is meaning. So this text definitely is not about the sheep. It's about the shepherds, the elders. And so this morning, as we think about the ministry of elders as shepherd, serving shepherds of the flock, uh, our focus is on what the elders need to do and the spirit in which they're, they are to shepherd the sheep, the people. And it speaks to us of what the ministry of elders is as our servant shepherds. There's a key backdrop in this passage that's so important. And that is that the elders and pastors live and serve the flock under the authority and the oversight of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. We're accountable to him. And when... The chief shepherd appears in the future. You elders will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So what I want to talk about this morning is what are are we to expect from our elders and pastors? And I want this to be a template. It's not all the details. You can fill in the details. Kind of a, a big picture. And this message is intended as a transition message between pastors. And I'm going to illustrate that as we come to the close of the service with the instruments behind me. So what are we to expect from our elders and pastors? What are we to expect of the lead pastor who will come in? And from the current elders, and you will meet them near the end of the message as well, including myself. Well, first of all, elders are to care for us with the heart of shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock. And if you know anything about shepherding and and sheep and so on, or even goats, Nathan, 
the shepherds have a bit of a, they have a caring heart for every sheep in their flock. Every sheep is important, even the ones that may be weak. It's demonstrated for us in the parable that Jesus told about the one lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. He said the shepherd was counting his sheep, he had a hundred, and when he called them in and counted them in the evening into where they were going to stay for the evening, there was one missing. And it pulled at his heart. He cared about that sheep. And we know that in that story, he left the 90 and 9, and he went and he searched until he found that one lost sheep. He sacrificed himself to search it out and care for the one. And that's what's really what we call agape love in action. He did what he had to, no matter what it cost him, in order to find that sheep that was lost. So shepherds, as elders, what's a caring heart like? Well, I suggest a caring heart feels the spiritual needs of others. Caring heart feels the spiritual needs of others. In Matthew 9, the end of the chapter, Jesus looks out over all the people and he saw them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them, we're told. He had a heart for them. A caring heart wants what is spiritually best for those under their care. Now, sometimes we get so preoccupied with the physical and material needs that we forget that the primary needs is always spiritual. It's not our comfort. It's not your physical comfort, your material comfort. It's your spiritual health and vitality and what is best for you. And that best is grounded in what God is doing in our lives. What is God doing? In all things, we believe that God is working for the good of those who love him so that they're pressed into the mold of Christ-likeness. And that's what shepherds want, elders want. That's the best that they want. For people to be grounded in what God is doing in their lives, to be obedient, to have courage, to hang in there, to have hope and faith. And that's the heart of elders. A caring heart prays for the spiritual best of others. And we need elders to have the caring heart of Jesus, the chief shepherd. Remember, I said this is a template. This, we're not talking about perfect elders. It's kind of the blueprint, what we're aiming towards. Uh, we need our elders to pray for us, that the Lord may deepen our heart for the congregation. And that's something you can pray for us as elders, that God would give us a caring heart, that we would have a deeper heart for, for you, the people. And for a personal application, each of us can have a caring heart of Jesus for those in our personal circle. We always, all of us have a little flock you know, in your home or in your extended family or your, your, your close friends. That's all a little flock. And we can have a caring heart of Jesus for those uh, and what's going on in their life. So elders watch over us <clears throat> with the heart of shepherds. Elders also watch over us with the eyes of shepherds. Be shepherds to those under your care. And you can picture a shepherd. He, never, he hardly ever closes his eyes. He grabs the naps, but he's always watching 
all the sheep all the time, especially in the day when they were out in the open, they weren't in fences, they could wander off, there could be a wild animal come by. And the shepherd in Jesus' parable was aware of the one missing sheep. He had eyes for every sheep. And Jesus, we're told, saw the shepherdless people of the day. He saw them weak, hurting, vulnerable. Watchful eyes are aware of those under their care. They have spiritual vision that sees beyond the physical and the material. And we, as a church, need elders who have the watchful eye of Jesus for us. Because there are things that go on that we can't see about ourselves. We have blind spots. So pray for us as elders that the Lord may deepen our watchful care for this congregation. And in the same way, for you to have watchful eyes for that little flock, whatever you call that flock, whatever they may be, in your own circle. Always be on the lookout, watching for the best interests. And then, elders protect us with the mind of shepherds, the way a shepherd thinks. Serving as overseers. An overseer is always thinking ahead of the game, ahead of the flock. Shepherds have discerning minds for every sheep of their flock. The sheep may not know what they need or what the danger is, but the shepherd knows because he understands. They know things that the sheep are oblivious to. There might be a cliff. There might be a ravine. There might be thickets that the sheep would get caught in. There might be wild animals. And the shepherds in Jesus' parable knew the real danger for the missing sheep. That's why he left the 99 and went looking for it because he knew that one sheep was vulnerable to exposure or to danger. Discerning minds seek to protect those under their care. And Paul warned the Ephesian elders about the spiritual danger and attack that was going to come. And I want to read briefly from Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31. And he's talking to the elders. He's called the elders of Ephesus to meet with him. And he's not going to see them again, so he's giving them a parting responsibility. And Acts 20, verse 25. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, people will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. And Peter warned in his second letter, he warned about a similar situation, uh, things that were dangerous to the followers of Christ. Second Peter 2, verse 1. 
But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Believe it or not, there are professing believers, professing followers of Christ that are deceiving people with teachings, and they're all around us. In the day that Peter wrote, they were traveling people. You know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have the, uh, the libraries, uh, they didn't have the radio programs, TV programs. And so it's, it's even multiplied today. There are so many voices out there. With subtle, sounds good, but when you get into it, there's danger there. <clears throat> They're very convincing, and some of the personalities are very charismatic in, in their presentation. And Peter is saying, really down underneath, these people are in it for themselves. Their motives, really, in God's eyes, are not what they appear to be. Well, here's a heavy thing for elders. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey your leaders, talking to the people, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So we elders have to give an account for you. That's why... Uh, we need to have the mind of shepherds. We need elders who have the protective mind of Jesus for our benefit. And so we ask you as elders to pray for us that, uh, that we would, that the Lord may deepen our protective care for this congregation. And I encourage you as individuals to have that same protective mind of Jesus for those in your little circle. Now, having said all of this about what we should expect from our spiritual leaders, our pastors and elders, let's be reminded about how we, the flock, are to view them. So this is this, is this transition section that I intentionally want to share with you. <clears throat> and I'm one of the flock as well. The challenge for the people, for the sheep, is to look at the elders through the lenses of Scripture rather than through the lenses of human wisdom. And that is something that Paul dealt with with the church in Corinth in the first century. He wrote to them to correct their wrong thinking about how they viewed the ministry leaders in their church. And I'm turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians 3, the first four verses. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. 
Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly, secular? Are you not acting like mere men, just the natural man? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not carnal? You're just thinking like in a humanistic way when you start doing this. So Paul is correcting them about the wrong thinking, about how they viewed the ministry leaders in their church. Paul had planted the church. Apollos came along afterwards and did ministry there. And here was a community of genuine followers of Christ. Their salvation is not in question, even though there were reprobates in some of the things that went on. But they were divided by their secular and non-Christian ideas of what elders or what leaders and ministry personalities are. And they were polarized around certain leaders like Paul, Apollos, and Peter. So Paul does this reality check, a reality check for the church, because they were comparing Paul and Apollos and rating them according to their preferences. And in the church, each had their own cheering section. You know, there's Paul's cheering section, there's Apollos' cheering section. And they probably sat that way. And today we have to be careful we don't allow ourselves to get polarized around, you know, well-known preachers and teachers, no matter how good they are. Paul emphasized the core truth that the spiritual leaders and minister leaders are nothing more than, now look in the next verse and it will be on the screen. So, <clears throat> would you read that from the screen with me? What, after all, is Apollos and Paul? Only servants, instruments, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. But God made it grow. So Paul is saying, and Peter would say the same thing, it's the Lord who brings life and growth to what people do in his name, in the ministry of the church. It's, it's not Paul, it's not Apollos, it's not the pastor, it's God who does a work through those people. Now in the Roman world, servants, because he says, what are they? They're only servants. Servants was a term for people with an inferior rank. You know, there was the masters, and then there was, were the servants. That was, that was the culture of the day. And Paul means that elders are not intended to be party heads. What are they? They're nothing. They're only servants. Would you raise a servant up to the place of someone who's a master and lord? That's what you're doing. But that's wrong. Every elder and every pastor is, is on the same level ground. There are no tiered ranks of who, are, of who is more or less a servant in God's work. Even though we tend to do that, we tend to compare ministry leaders. And Paul emphasized in his letter to the believers in the Corinthian church, even further in chapter 4 and in verse 6 and 7. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. 
Then you will not take pride in one over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? That's a good lesson for all of us. So what ability do you have? What talent do you have? Can you take credit for it? Can I take credit for it? Not at all. It's, it's in the genetic mix that we come with and in God's gifting to us. So, so we're just unworthy servants that God uses. So no one can take credit for their abilities and gifts, and that's true of all of us. God determines, as the text says, and implements this. He's the giver of all we have. In our world, those who serve in the cause of Christ are nothing more than human agents in God's hands. Elders and pastors are essential, yes, but they are nothing more than instruments that God uses. Elders and pastors are servant shepherds in the serving service of the chief shepherd. They serve the flock, the church, in the name of the great shepherd. God's people need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this. Each of us need to be reminded of this. What, after all, is Apollos and Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord is assigned to each his task, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. And that's something that we need to deal with in the transitioning of lead pastors. We need to remember that the pastor who has been here and the pastor who will come are nothing more than God's human servants. And even more importantly, they each bring something to the table for, for God's work, for what God's work needs at that particular season of life. That's why you don't want cookie-cutter pastors. Because one pastor brings this to the table, the next pastor brings this to the table, something the other one maybe didn't have or couldn't contribute, and on and on it goes. Paul planted the church, Apollos came along to water the work. And God used Apollos for what the church needed going forward from the church planting days. And that is what we're looking for in our search for the next lead pastor, elder. In a sense, we've had been a church plant. We've been a restart. And now we're ready for the next one to come along. And elders and pastors are human instruments in God's hands. And God uses the appropriate person with the appropriate gifts for the appropriate season in life of the church. They are like musical instruments in the hands of a musician. So this morning, uh, I want to use a, just a little practical way of helping us think about this. Elders and pastors are human instruments. And, and there's, a, there's a comparison to the human, to us, because anybody who's studied an instrument knows there's parts to it, right? So this section is called the head, this is the neck, and this is the body. So kind of, we have kind of a, a connection there, right? And each one of them brings 
their own unique individual presence to the table, uh, as pastors do and as instruments do. So there's a physical presence of what we see. There's the personality presence because we, we get a sense this instrument has a personality and pastors have personalities. There's a voice presence. That's what we hear in instruments as well as in pastors. There's a performance presence. That is what they can bring when they're played. Now, just to kind of make this hit home, I've told the other three elders that I'm bringing them to the platform. So they're coming right now very gladly and smiling. And they're going to be seated on the designated stool up here. Now, they asked me, do do they have to play? And I wouldn't even risk that. So they're not going to play. So these instruments have different classifications. This one is called, it's kind of the standard, uh, it's, it's it's really called a standard guitar. And it's kind of your general run of the mill instruments. And that represents the, the average pastor. You know, the, the good guy, the faithful, steady guy like Bruce is. You know, not, not, not really flashy, but you can always count on him. And those are the kind of pastors that uh, you love to have around. So this, of course, has a a more gentle sound, soft acoustic sound. And I think of of the pastors who, like Dan, are kind of, they're polished, you know? After all, he works for the government. So they're they're classy guys, you know? And and so you think of the pastors, they're, they're maybe highly educated, and they're very polished, in their presentation of how they go about things. <laughs> well, this is a slide guitar. It's actually got a transistor built into it. It was the first way that they uh, amplified instruments back in the 30s before they did uh, amplifiers. So this one is played with a, with a steel and a pick. So that's a, a radical acoustic sound, right? <laughs> and that reminds me, there are some pastors who are very eccentric, like Jeff. They're kind of off the wall. <laughs> well, then, there's this little guy, the mandolin. And somebody said uh, it was invented by a, a guitar player who had short arms. I call that an eternal uh, alternate acoustic sound. And uh, that represents the, the guys who are very creative, very artsy. Okay, so you have, and these are just four basic suggestions, and you could probably build quite a commentary on it. 
But the point is that each is unique. Each brings something to the table and, and brings a particular result when they're played as God uses the pastors. Now, that's all, Jeff. <laughs> you can take your seats. Thanks so much. Give them a hand. <clears throat> I told them if they weren't here on Sunday, their wives would have to take their place. And they told me that wouldn't go over very well. Now, you get the message. I probably could just stop here and you got the message. But I want to talk a little bit more. Each instrument has specialized strings. And they're useless without the strings. But there's different weights, different kinds. And each pastor, each elder is wired differently. They have different ministry capacities, a unique set of spiritual gifts and personalities that's by God's design. And we don't need to expect the same from each instrument, and we don't need to expect the same from each pastor. Uh, They can't give us the same. So what I want to do is I want to play the same song on each instrument in the same key, in approximately the same tempo to demonstrate this a little bit more and to appreciate that different men bring different things to the table. And as I do that, I'd like you to kind of envision different pastors, different elders, and, and how they have a unique, uh, a unique personality, unique sound, without comparing. This is not for comparison. This is just to appreciate that. And I'll use, uh, the song that I want to use this morning is Bless the Lord, O My Soul.
So picture yourself going to a concert. It's a pianist, guitarist, or it could be a trumpeter, whatever. And you've really enjoyed the concert. It's an accomplished musician. So afterwards, you get to personally go up to the front and you speak to the, the musician. And you rave about the instrument they played. How you really, it looks so beautiful. Beautiful workmanship, wonderful sound. But you don't acknowledge the musician. Uh, you don't give him any credit or even thank him for the music. Not. Right? You wouldn't think of doing that. You know the human instrument is nothing without the musician. And this is what we are tempted to do with people in ministry. We focus on the person and their abilities and set them up on a pedestal and stroke their egos. Paul declares, what is Apollos? And what is Paul? We're only servants. We're only instruments through whom God plays or through whom you came to believe. And so we need to intentionally give God the glory and thank him for the grace in that person's life. But we also need to affirm people in ministry, pastors. We need to affirm them in ministry in ways that encourage and appreciate them without rating them or exalting them. In fact, we need to find out what their love language is. And people who have the love language of affirming words are particularly vulnerable to being stroked with their ego. So we need to be careful how we encourage them. So we don't say, you're such a great person. We say, thank you for letting God use you and for ministering. Remember, all are just instruments in God's hands. And the main thing is the message and the song, the story. There's always a story. And it's God's story. And I'm going to ask you to join in the chorus at the end. But if we just kind of appreciate the instrument, but mainly we're looking to the great musician, the chief shepherd. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger, your name is great and your heart is kind, for all your goodness I will keep on singing. Thousand reasons for my heart to find. Please stand as we Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I'll worship Your holy I'll worship your holy name. Our
Heavenly Father, as we stand before you today, we thank you that there are so many reasons to worship and praise you. You're rich in love to us through the cross. We thank you that you're slow to anger and you're forgiving. You have a name that is above every name, and your heart is compassionate and kind. And for all your goodness, we want to keep on singing to bless you, our Lord. And I pray for us as we continue the search for the next lead pastor that you would give us wisdom and discernment to recognize who would be the person of your choice to come and serve us. Bless us as a people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.